Hey, we're so excited about this podcast today. We're going to take a, a dive into what's happening. I mentioned that we're in the election cycle season, and, and this is, means the circus is coming to town. It means we're going to see all kinds of crazy things happen to try to influence elections and threaten people and scare people. And the latest uh, tool of the left is to call people like us Christian nationalists. We are threats to democracy. Our Christian beliefs are threats to America. And we're going to try to uh, shove all these views down everybody's throat as soon as the the uh, wrong candidate gets put into office. So we're going to talk about all of that. And is that really true? And what does that mean? And what's the strategy behind it? Uh, and then we're going to get into an introduction of the second member of what Jonathan Kahn calls the Dark Trinity. Her name is Astereth. She's all over the Bible. In fact, she's all over the ancient world. In fact, she's all over America today. And we're going to talk about who is this principality? What is, how does she operate? Uh, what does she look like? What's her agenda? And again, how is that impacting the American cultures today? So you're not going to want to miss it. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Here we are having more fun than any two individuals deserve, but uh, that's the beauty of uh, what we do. We were just talking about this. It's when you know Christ and uh, and you're you're consumed by the beauty of a biblical worldview, you wake up in the morning and life's exciting and fun. And uh, we have so much important stuff to talk about now and this year. You know, we've been in in, in this uh, amazing book by Jonathan Kahn, uh, The Return of the Gods. We're going to jump back into uh, the second member of the Dark Trinity and introduce you to uh, to this spirit today because she is alive and well in America. But before that, you know, I, I made the comment a number of weeks ago at Living Stones, uh, I guess as we were moving into um, uh, a brand new year, that uh, reminding our folks, this is an election year, and that means the circus is coming to town. And uh, and part of what I mean by the circus is, and it really highlights biblical worldview, we talked about this, um, if, if a man or woman does not have God as his or her source, all right, as the center of their life, and and a, a biblically immersed worldview uh, providing a plan, all right, hope for the future, a, a, a plan for where history is moving, then what fills that void is usually power. It, you know, it's just you're living for now, so it's power, it's pleasure, it's prosperity. Uh, and, and what we see in election cycles is not that Christians are the biggest threat to democracy, but actually it's secularists that are the biggest threat to democracy because they will literally do anything to win an election and to be in charge. And we we saw that in the last election cycle. You know, I don't know if you, if you saw this, I was cracking up. But in the South Carolina primary, after all of the propaganda that, that the left has, has put forth, on, especially on the last election, January 6th, quote, insurrection, um, no matter how much propaganda is spewed, what was that? Like 60-some percent of the voters uh, uh, publicly admitted that the last election was stolen. Now, to the chagrin of MSNBC, after all that they've worked to prove, no, this election was not stolen. Joe Biden really got more votes than anybody in the history of ever of ever getting votes, right? Uh, and yet the majority of voters are like, no, nah, we're not buying it. Uh, the election was stolen. So anyway, we're not the threats to, to, to democracy. We're actually the ones that preserve democracy. We're the ones who have laid the foundation for fair elections. And we're the ones 
sense that it can be trusted with power because power is not our ultimate source. But that's not the case on the left. And so what the, what the latest is, the circus is coming to town, right? We got a massive election coming up. What are we going to see thrown at us this time? Well, this week it was amazing to me because uh, the term Christian nationalist was all over the news. And, um, and there's a new movie coming out evidently by uh, a stalwart Christian conservative, I'm joking, Rob Reiner. Uh, we know who, who Rob Reiner is and what he stands for. But this has been co-opted with David French, who's now um, uh, used to be a conservative writer. Now he's the opinion columnist for the New York Times, um, the bastion of, of leftist progressive thought. And Russell Moore, who's the editor-in-chief now of Christianity Today, Southern, used to be anyway, I, I assume he's still a Southern Baptist, but he used to be one of the Southern Baptist leaders. But if you follow Christianity Today, I mean, we've seen a steady drift toward the left with Christianity Today. But the latest threat, which I find hilarious, uh, is found in this quote. Many, many believe the founders wanted a Christian America and some want government to declare one now. Trump allies prepare to infuse Christian nationalism in his second administration. Um, so here's the way this pans out. Anybody that loves God and loves country is now a threat to democracy because you actually believe that this country was founded by people who shared our Judeo-Christian worldview, which they did, uh, and that many of our institutions and founding uh, documents were rooted in in biblically, uh, you know, saturated language or Christian language, which they were, um, and that somehow Christians are a threat because we're going to force everybody to to uh, to bow down to Jesus and to uh, confess Him as Lord, or else we're going to kill you, imprison you, or whatever. But uh, the concern is that we Christians, especially white, it's not just Christian nationalism; it's white Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so you're off, I guess. Are you considered white because you're Asian? Are you? But you're you're white Asian. I'm white Asian. <laughs> I don't know That's what a, you are. I've never heard of that one before, but <laughs> I, but I'm the I'm the. You, yeah. Maybe you get off the hook. Yeah. But but I I'm white. I'm a Christian, and I love my country. So evidently, I'm the greatest threat to. Uh, so interesting because even even if you're white, you come from your nationality come from all over the exactly you know different place in the world. So it's like, what does that even mean? You know, so in our biblical worldview, says we all come from. One source, anyway, yeah. um, and and so the the beautiful diversity, the yeah. pluralism that that the left longs for, right? Uh, the tolerance, at least from a the old definition of tolerance, all of these virtues spring from the Christian worldview. And um, we were talking about that beforehand. But what was that? You you said you were just listening to a podcast or read an article, and I thought it was worthy of mention on this podcast. Oh, it's just about how we expand our our territory. The, the kingdom of God. I heard someone say this: is the kingdom of God doesn't expand our territory through violence or through fear or manipulation or blackmail or you know conniving conspiracies. The Christ, the, the 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 kingdom of God expands ourselves. Uh, through influence, yeah, and you know how you get true influence. You care about people. You yeah. love people. You serve people. I mean, I think about the early Christians during their the, the friendly Roman Empire, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. How did they gain such influence? So that's a tremendous amount of influence that yeah. would essentially take over the empire. What? Because they were rebelling and because they were you know cursing because there was plain no because they served the poor. 
They lay down their lives, you well, know. During they, all the epidemics that took place when to, people were fleeing because they had no hope for the future, yep. it was the Christians that stayed and cared for people. Care for people. And they, I mean, this is exactly what the book of Revelation talks about. They love their, their life not more than the, the cause, the, yeah. the kingdom cause. Even under death. Under, even under death. And, and that's influence. And that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to expand. Yeah, so so yeah. really what we're saying is we're not trying to force our views on anybody's throat, but what we are watching right now is an overt attack on Christianity itself. It's basically yeah. saying, if you have Christian values, keep them to yourself. Or if we know that, if you're a white Christian nationalist, which we have a hard time defining even what that term means, it's just it's it's a, a pejorative term used to scare people is what it is. Um, if that's you, you're dangerous and you're somehow disqualified from any, any kind of public... Uh, uh, or community service just by virtue of your belief system. Um, so anyway, this is the stuff that we're fighting. And I would just push back and say, how funny. I've spent, I've spent much of my uh, adult life as a pastor trying to rally churches to stand for these issues that are not fundamentally political. They're fundamentally righteous and, uh, righteousness issues, justice mm-hmm. issues, um, whether it's life or liberty or, or uh, marriage or family. These are biblical issues. And the, the opposite is actually true. There's no threat from this uprising of pastors leading their churches to stand for righteousness in the public arena. We're fighting just the opposite right now. So it's funny to me that, that this, the scare of Christian nationalism uh, is really kind of an empty scare, but it is meant to shut up churches like ours and others that are trying to equip people and mobilize people to get engaged and to simply uh, lead and to serve and to be salt and light, you know, in their culture. Yeah, I, I think we, we have talked those many times. I think there's there are think tanks in these elite institutions that they sit around, they're thinking, what new words can we invent to help us have a higher ground on these more arguments? Let's create these words so that we have just better leverage to push back. You know, you got words like homophobic. Or is like uh, a transphobic, right? Like whatever anyone that comes against your what, what they feel in terms of science, what biology says, you just throw a term at there so you don't have yeah. to actually talk about the science anymore. You don't have to talk about uh, like right. actual ob- uh, objection to your ideas. You can't. You don't need to have a conversation. You just throw those words out there. I think Christian nationalism is. is part of that whole Absolutely. invented phrase. It's a word bomb. To kind of just diffuse all arguments and say, you're just that. Well, notice yeah. as soon as you put phobic, you know, now you're saying that the basis of your disagreement with a person's choices or, or worldview is yeah. fear. So now you've called the person from the start mentally ill. You're dealing with a mental illness. And again, none of that is true. Um, we can have theological arguments. We can have scientific arguments. We can have sociological right. arguments. Can we can have all kinds of good arguments. Actual debate anymore because you just have, you, you use these words. And this is the same thing. Well, yeah. this was interesting. He said, really, what, what's, what this movie, this documentary from Rob Reiner, it's a Trojan horse for progressive ideology. Uh, that was so- Southern Seminary Professor Andrew Walker. He said his documentary paints institutions as disparate as the Heritage Foundation, Turning Point USA, and Hillsdale College with the same broad brush, even though the first two aren't sectarian and the third isn't political. Uh, He says Reiner gives the game away when he talks about, quote, white Christian nationalism, uh, a a mistaken conflation of white ethnic nationalism with Christian nationalism. So now we've got 
whiteness involved in here. We've got this loaded term Christian, and what does that mean? And then nationalism, which takes you back to like fascist Nazi Germany. Uh, and all of this is being uh, thrown out there just to cause confusion and, and scare people. Uh, and then they throw in January 6th that was supposedly a violent insurrection, but nobody had guns except the Capitol Police who were inviting everybody into the Capitol like it was a tour. Um, anyway, just uh, it's amazing propaganda. Um, but this is what we're seeing. Um, I love this quote. He says, it is totalitarian leftists who seek to depluralize American public life by banishing Christians from the public square and scaremongering about Christian nationalism is simply their latest attempt to do so. So um, we're pointing this out. Just one more thing, and it's not in that article, but did you see the lady from Politico who actually uh, – said Christian nationalists are people who believe that their rights come from God, not from the Constitution or from the Supreme Court. Um, Duh. This is a political writer who obviously hasn't read any of our foundational documents because that is what secures our rights is that they are coming from God, that they're not coming from human beings who are fickle or who have agendas. So once again, this is a massive assault on the Christian foundation of this nation. Um, And to say that America somehow was not founded by Christians or was not founded on Christian, a Christian worldview is to just simply ignore the obvious history. That doesn't mean we're forcing everybody or or secularists to believe the way we are, but to deny those foundations is to completely miss uh, the American experiment. I didn't hear her. I didn't, I don't watch political, but I didn't hear her say that, but (laughs) a very, simple response to her would be, okay, let me, let me ask you, so are you saying you rather that our right to, say, life or right to free speech come from a document that can be changed? Because you can't change the Constitution. Yeah. So are you saying, Ms. Whoever, yeah. that if we change the Constitution so that we no longer have a right to life, that you're liberty. okay <laughs> liberty, you are okay with that. You're saying it's legitimate. Nobody, including myself, should not have the right to life. Are you saying that? I would want to ask her to her face because if it's dependent on God, then you can change the Constitution all you want. It doesn't matter because God transcends all that. But if you're saying our rights come from the Supreme Court or the Constitution, yep. that could be any change. And are you okay, Miss Whoever? Are you okay? You're saying that's okay. I want her to say, yes, I'm okay with that. I don't need the right to life yeah, You're talking about scary because now all it is is, is pure political power. Yeah. And if you have no higher authority to appeal to, no code of ethics, no absolutes, then you'll do anything. Uh, you'll be stuffing ballots. You'll be stacking the Supreme Court. You'll be doing whatever it takes to you make can, sure you that— You commit genocide, and you can justify it because the Constitution allows it yeah. or whatever your document allows it. Guess what? It has already happened in history. Yeah. So are you saying that's okay, Miss Whatever? But, but this, is yeah. the, this yeah. is the open anti-Christian hostility and bias that is in America today. I would say they would say, yes, we would rather— we would rather make up our own laws than appeal to the fact that there's a God from whom our inalienable rights flow. Yeah. I, that's where they're at. And I, and I think she would look you in the face and say, absolutely. Uh, I reject those notions because those are scary or those are, you know, you Christians are somehow going to force your views down our throats, but they're actually the foundation for the liberties <laughs> that we have. Yeah. And it's an unchanging foundation and a stable foundation. But but again, if you hate God, you'll you'll do anything to get rid of him and, uh, and to twist the founding documents and to twist words to mean things that scare people. And it's just, again, the circus is coming to town. 
Uh, and I, uh, the lawlessness that we're dealing with right now in America is unbelievable. It, not only are things being exposed, which is great, that's, that's answered prayer, right? We've been praying for corruption to be exposed. But once the corruption is exposed, it's like people are just thumbing, thumbing the, uh, their nose, like, so what? Deal, it, it, nothing's going to happen. I'm not going to be held accountable. Uh, there's, no, there's not going to be any justice. Um, and it makes you wonder with our corrupt courts and our uh, uh, corrupt CIA, FBI, corrupt government officials, uh, is there going to be justice? Yeah. Uh, or is it all ideologically based and everybody just turns their head? Two, two, two levels of justice, two-tier two justice system. That's um, my prayer for the nation every day is, Lord, give us justice in our, in our country today. Can you bring us justice? In the day, it's not dependent on the courts. It's dependent on you. You're the God of justice. Yeah. I'm not talking about the ultimate judgment when Christ returns, but even today, God wants to have justice in his, in his, yeah. in his territory, and everything belongs to him. So, I mean, that, let's keep praying that justice. I mean, that's my prayer for our nation. Like, let true justice come through. Yeah. And I think everything starts local, which I'm reminding people, you know, like, because you feel like, my gosh, what are we going to do? How, how, how are we going to drain the swamp, so to speak? Everything is local. So, you know, you start with living a righteous life at work, at home, yeah. loving your wife, raising godly kids, uh, getting involved in the community, getting on to voting, running for office, running for school board. Yeah. Um Leading in the marketplace, right? Being uh, being Christ-like in the marketplace, serving your community. I mean, everything ultimately begins by protecting the home front, and uh, and we spread out from there. So I'm not I'm not in any way depressed. Uh, no, I'm just pointing out that uh, yeah. we we are in a a spiritual civil war right now in America. Uh, and uh, by the way, I'm going to be addressing some of this ramping up to the election. Um, I'll share more about that as we get get closer. On a bright spot for Living Stones, um, very excited. You know, this coming weekend, uh, I think my sister told me we're up to about 140 women who will be attending the uh, Ladies' Encounter, mm. which is the largest group we've ever had. Um, and I'm very, very excited. I believe it's going to be a powerful, powerful time. Also, if you're listening and you're local, we have a, a very powerful man of God coming in. Ivan Tate will be with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night. If you can come out for those meetings, um, uh, they're, they're promising to be wonderfully Holy Spirit anointed and powerful, and, uh, and I'm excited about that. So yeah. put that on your calendar, and we'll look forward to seeing you this weekend. All right, um, just by way of a little review, uh, in our book uh, by Jonathan Kahn, Return of the Gods, we were introduced, and we've been talking for the last probably three or four podcasts, uh, about the first member of the Dark Trinity, uh, whom he called the Possessor. Uh, of course, in biblical language, is Baal. Uh, and just by way of review, Baal was a fertility god. He was the god of rain, the source of the rain, which brought, uh, again, economic prosperity for the plants and agriculture. Uh, he was a warrior god. He was lord. He was owner. He was master. He was anti-god, which it's really all summed up in the phrase, he was the god of apostasy. The, the goal of Baal was to turn God's people away from him. And then we looked at America today. Has that been happening? We talked about the uh, the bronze bull on Wall Street. Again, the bull being a symbol of Baal worship all through the Old Testament. Is that a coincidence? I think not. Uh, we noticed, again, the arch from the temple of Baal in Palmyra was recreated and placed in the city hall property in a ceremony in New York City, just, just down the street from the bull. 
And you're thinking, how in the world does an arch from the Temple of uh, Baal in Palmyra end up in New York City at the center of government? These things are just so strange, it's hard to even get your mind around. But these are prophetic, symbolic things that point to the fact that America has largely apostatized, at least publicly, in the public arena. We've turned our back on God, and we ended last the last episode with highlighting the, the absolute hypocrisy of a, for instance, a House of Representatives with Moses looking down, uh, at least in, in in art form, looking down on the proceedings, and we are we are going against the Ten Commandments. We're going against the laws of God publicly, ignoring Him and basically thumbing our nose at Moses and the and the law of the Lord, which was the foundation of our legal system. Which is why Moses is up there in the first place. These are the questions that the left should answer. Why did why was Moses chosen as art in the Supreme Court? Why was he up as art in the House of Representatives? Because it was the Judeo-Christian system was founded upon the law of God, and that's why he's there. Yeah. But now we're seeing, even in the Supreme Court, um, we're, we're passing legislation that goes directly opposite to all the symbols that we have around in that court, which point back to our Judeo-Christian roots. So, so Baal is alive and well. America is well on our way to apostasy, at least publicly, um, in our public institutions. Uh, and this should cause us tremendous concern because um, apostasy leads to the destruction and judgment of a nation. So let's get into the second member of the of the Dark Trinity today. Uh, this member is actually a she. In the Bible, she is referred to as the Queen of Heaven. And I'm going to be doing a series uh, coming up on uh, called Weeping Prophets, dealing with the ministry of Jeremiah. And we see uh, the phrase Queen of Heaven repeated in the book of Jeremiah, I think seven times. But here's an example. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 18. No wonder God says, I'm so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. And they pour out liquid offerings to other idol gods. Jeremiah 7, uh, verse 18. So she's called the queen of heaven. She was uh, most associated with Venus. She was the goddess of sexuality. Uh, in fact, the planet Venus is associated with love because of this queen of heaven. Uh, interestingly enough, dear too, she was the goddess of war and destruction. And I quote here from Jonathan Kahn, she was fiery, impetuous, impulsive, greedy, emotional, demanding, stormy, fierce, carnal, given to rage, romantic, vindictive, full of unbridled passion, insatiable sexual desire, and boundless pride. If she was denied the object of her desire, she becomes vengeful and violent. Of course, we're talking here about uh, Ashtoreth. We see in the Bible on a number of occasions, uh, and I'll read here from Scripture, Judges 2, verse 13, they abandoned the Lord to serve Baal, whom we talked about, and the images of Ashtoreth, all right? So that's the, that's the pair that you see in the, in the Scripture. First um, Kings chapter 11, verse 5, Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so there in Scripture, you see her introduced. We'll get into that next week as we look at the apostasy that happened in Israel. Um, but this is the second member of the Dark Trinity, uh, and she is associated 
with uh, uh, sexual perversion and the violence that comes along with that. And again, we're, we'll get into this, but we're asking you the question, uh, the, the premise being, as we've driven out all these spirits because of the gospel, what are we doing to open up the door, and where are we seeing a resurgence of the spirit in America today? So that's, that's what I want you, all of our listeners to keep in mind, because that's where we're actually headed. Um, but let's talk about some of these things. Uh, she was the breaker of rules. <laughs> let's think when it comes to the sexual revolution yeah. in the 60s, what was the whole goal of the, sec- of the sexual revolution? It was basically to kick down every boundary of, for sexual expression. Anything goes. Any form of sexual expression you want is perfectly fine. And it was, it was a, a rebellious reaction to a biblical view of sexuality and marriage and so forth. Well, this is interesting. She's a trespasser of boundaries, you know, and, and I could preach a sermon, I think I might have, in which you can really define um, our relationship with God, the, the fallen nature of human being through uh, a breaking down of, bound, of uh, us trespassing the boundaries that God has given to us. Yeah. You know, the word sin means uh, off the mark. In right. other words, we're, we're off the boundaries that God has given right. to us. And, and, and really, life is full of boundaries. You know, in any good relationship, there are healthy boundaries. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're saying anything, but but like that is the essence. And there's a great book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud that talks about the importance of having healthy but healthy boundaries allows us to have healthy relationship. Right. So we think boundaries hold us back or boundaries keep us from uh, living our life fully. No, healthy boundaries actually keep us from living our life fully. Another way to think about it is when you have um when you have great uh you want a great football game, is boundaries important? Yeah. Yeah. Is having referees important? Having end zones important? Yeah. Having first yards? You're going to be disqualified by uh, breaking rules that uh, are established for the sake of the game. Well, if you remove all boundaries, football has no meaning. There's no one will watch football anymore. People just do whatever they want, right? Right. right. So, 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 God established boundaries so we can have life and life to the full. And in the last several decades, what we have seen is the spirit of pushing boundary and pushing boundary and pushing boundary. And, and I'm going to offend a bunch of you guys, including our producer, in a second. But you know, <laughs> the Mac logo is, in essence, pushing the boundaries. It's an apple, eat, eat the a bit, apple. A bitten apple, which is a, supposed to be a sign of creativity, a sign of we were going to break past the rule. I mean, that's my interpretation of that. I read a little bit into it. And they produce great product. Don't get me wrong. Well, it's interesting. Tim, I'll yeah. throw another one in. Yeah. The, the logo for um, uh, Starbucks. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, is Some supposedly... Kind of goddess, right? Well, it's the goddess we're talking about today. It's oh, Astrith. Yes. Hmm. Um, that was the kind of the model. When you look, when you look at it, if you look, go online and you just type in Astrith and you look for images... Uh, you'll see a lot about this, but um, very close uh, symbolism between yeah. that logo and, um, and and the goddess and what yeah. she stands for, unbridled sexual expression and, and lust, you know, right. which again, the, re- the reason I, I have told people that I would rather drink goat urine uh, than Starbucks uh, is not because of flavor. It's because uh, Starbucks has actually worked very, very hard to destroy a biblical uh, understanding of marriage in America and to erase all the boundaries and break all the rules. Uh, that's why, on principle, I would rather drink uh, warm goat urine. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but I you wouldn't want that either. No, I don't want that either. And, I, and just so our listeners know, I've not, please know, I've not ever done that, but I, I'm saying that for effect. Okay. Um, <laughs> How about this one? She, uh, she would demand uh, that which belonged to others. Uh, she was the goddess of prostitution. 
The prostitutes of ancient Mesopotamia looked to her as their patron and protector. And so, um, again, in that industry, which we, we hear is the oldest of all industries, uh, they looked to this spirit to be uh, their patron and the, and the goddess who provided supernatural protection for prostitution. Um, she was a seducer, a temptress, the goddess who captivated, allured, and snatched away. And if we just pause right there, I mean, if this isn't a description of modern Hollywood today, I don't know what is. Seducing, tempting, captivating, alluring, snatching away. Um, how many? How many young Disney stars? Right when they're, they're like, they're like middle school kids, um, early high school kids. Uh, as soon as Hollywood gets them, they're all sexualized. They're all turned into. Um, uh, you know, divas, uh, their music goes dark. It's all about sexual expression or sexual exploitation. Uh, it happens over and over and over. This is the spirit behind Hollywood. Uh, this is the spirit behind much of modern entertainment. Um, and, uh, and again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this is alive and well in America today. Yeah. Let, let's get to another issue. This is interesting. Um, she was the patron goddess of the tavern or alehouse. And she was associated with alcohol, particularly of beer. She dwelled in taverns, and she mixed sexuality with intoxication. Now, one of my arguments um, in the in the local church for abstinence, uh, although again, I don't think the Bible demands abstinence, but when you look at um, alcohol historically and its use in uh, fueling um, immorality. The connection is very clear, and I'll give a biblical example. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling or in jealousy. The point being this, those two things historically have gone hand in hand. If you go to a bar and you're sitting there and you're drinking, spending the night drinking as an activity, um, I guarantee you there are people who have come to that bar to try to find somebody to spend the night with and hook up with sexually. That's the nature of bars. It's the nature of, uh, of that lifestyle. So not that everybody who goes to a bar is looking for that uh, or that every drink of alcohol leads to sexual immorality, but it's undeniable that the two uh, are often found together. And historically, this spirit was associated a spirit of lust and perversion was associated with the tavern and the alehouse and with alcoholic consumption. Um, what do you think about no, that, Drew? Yeah. No, I hear you. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's interesting because, it's, uh, it, sh- sh- because that spirit of addiction, the spirit of consumption of, of that intoxication, there's a spiritual origin to that. It's not just purely psychological or biological. Right. Or chemical or whatever. Or chemical, yes, Absolutely. So, goddess of sexual promiscuity, I like this. She was the enchantress, the sorceress, and the goddess of magical spells. Now, again, in, in the West, we look at magic spells all as, as some type of just, you know, uh, Hollywood science fiction or whatever. But the demonic is real. And the reason you would go to somebody who was a witch, a warlock, a, 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 a demonic person um, is because there is demonic power attached with spells. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we've not been aware of this maybe in the West as much, but you go over to certain countries where there's a lot of uh, spiritism 
ritualistic sacrifice and so forth. And there is power here. So there's the power to cast a spell on someone to seduce them. And as we're going to see, the power also to cause one sex to see themselves as another sex. So all this transgenderism and things that we're dealing with today is not new at all. It's actually very ancient. This is not the first time around. What's new is the the ability to, uh, medically to try to, to uh, transform someone's genitalia. Uh, that's what's new. But the dressing as, if you're a man dressing as a woman or a woman dressing as a man or actually taking on the spirit of the opposite gender, that's something that's been ancient and actually has been associated with this uh, dark principality that we're talking about today. She specialized in love magic. Her cult reflected her nature. Her, her worship was saturated with carnality, sensuality, and open sexuality, which is why in the Bible we see uh, ancient writings speaking of her as akin to houses of prostitution and uh, temple sex, ritualized temple sex. So, you know, I, I've been to India many, many times, and especially in the Hindu faith tradition, uh, the temple gods and temple prostitutes, really, really big. We read about this in the Bible, where as people would come to worship these false gods, many times they it involved um, sexual intercourse with a temple prostitute who was actually acting as the proxy of the god. So when you had sex with the temple prostitute, you were actually uh, engaging with the spirit of that temple, uh, the, the god of whom you were worshiping. Uh, and so the whole notion of, of sex being merged with worship uh, is what she brought about as well. And so she's also called Ishtar, as we talked about. The Bible calls her Ashtoreth. Um, and as with Baal, she's everywhere. We read about her throughout the Old Testament. She's everywhere in terms of all the different uh, ancient cultures. In the Canaanite culture, she's called Asarte. In the Sumerian culture, she's called Inanna. In the Assyrian and Babylonian culture, she's called Ishtar. The Greeks called her Aphrodite. Uh, you probably, in all your uh, Greek mythology study, yep. came across yep. her. And she was not a pleasant, no. she was not a pleasant being, even Greek mythology. She was not like a benevolent being. Oh, no, no. she's nasty. That's why that no. quote about fiery, impetuous, no. impulsive. It's so interesting, because when I, when, I, when I learned that, I'm like, she's the goddess of love? Like, that is not love. No. Oh, the thing is she embodied. Erotic love. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's like, wrong with that love, definition. That, love that says give her what she Desire. wants, and, and if you don't, right. you'll pay. Right. Desire, not actual love. Not the love that I grew up to understand what love is. Yeah, yeah. not biblical love. Her, right. her young lover was the god Adonis. Uh, the Romans called her the god Venus. And again, when the gospel spread to the Roman and Middle Eastern world, this goddess was cast out. And this is the beautiful thing. So when Christ comes along... One of the biggest idols that he was having to deal with was the sexual perversion that was everywhere. So a man had his wife to further his own children, his progeny, but he had a mistress to satisfy his carnal desires. And many times he had a slave that was used sexually as well. And then all of a sudden the gospel comes along and Jesus says, it's a sin for a man to even look upon a woman lustfully. He's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, can you imagine how radical this was? And even some of the disciples said, you know, Lord, uh, who can do this? To which Jesus replied, you know, with men it's impossible, but with God, God can conquer a perverted, lustful sexual drive and actually sanctify it. And so with marriage and the formation of the family unit, 
we actually see the elevation of the status of women. Women aren't treated just as prostitutes or as uh, uh, objects of you know sexual desire. Women are treated as equals before God, uh, as as people made in the image and likeness of God. And all of a sudden, uh, men just can't throw their wives aside because they're tired of them. Um, all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute, no, 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 you can't treat your wife that way. And Jesus, in fact, says, you know, th- those are my daughters you're, you're, that you're treating with this way. Treat them with dignity. Treat them with respect. Treat them as co-heirs in, in the gospel. Um, I mean, this is why I laugh when I hear people attack the Christianity as somehow, you know, being bad for women. If it wasn't for Christianity, women would be treated, used, abused, and treated as maybe one step above an animal. That's what most cultures, or most cultures treated women. Jesus changes all of that. Marriage becomes sacred. Sexuality becomes a gift uh, belonging to the marriage covenant. And so marriage protects the beauty and the sanctity of sexuality. Which allow healthy kids, which allows healthy society, healthy families and healthy societies, right? Absolutely. Can you imagine the chaos that we see with these crazy affairs or concubines in their look, family look, household? Look at what's happening in our culture today, the loneliness, the brokenness, um, the, the breakdown of the family, especially in our urban areas. Uh, this is absolutely the source for, of societal uh, breakdown and most of the mess that we have right now and the big government that's trying to come in and fix things that that a healthy family wouldn't need fixed. Um, so again, the gospel does radical things to the expression of our sexuality, to, to raising the status of women, to providing a safe environment for raising healthy children. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So all of these things were shut down. All of these demonic uh, temples uh, with with temple prostitution and all of these things. In fact, uh, many of the missionaries that went overseas, one of the first things they did was rescue children who were being uh, basically exploited and trafficked as sex objects in these um, in these temples. The gospel shut all that down. Um, and uh, and again, this was what we inherited in America was a Judeo-Christian view of biblical sexuality and a healthy marriage and family. Yeah, I, I, I learned this from that book, um, the book that... Yeah, world. World, yeah. And again, I haven't done deep studying this, but when I read it, I was like, this is profound. It's like basically the West, Western city influenced by Christian worldview basically changed the whole world through monogamy. Yeah. Like I think about ancient Chinese culture, monogamy is not the norm. People mm-hmm. had concubines and, and different wives and especially when you're wealthy. Now, do you know one culture that I'm sure people still practice it, but do you know any culture that's popularized anything beyond monogamy in our world today? Not that I know of. I mean, think about that change, that exchange. How did that happen? Why is it every culture in the world, every country in the world basically all practice monogamy? But you can see, uh, and we'll get into this next week, Mm -hmm. when you start erasing the lines and you start asking the question, well, who says? Well, marriage is between a man and a woman. Well, who says? What's wrong with two men who want to love each other? Love is love. Like, how does that hurt you? Uh, and one of the arguments was, well, if we erase that line and we call that marriage, then we don't really have a definition for marriage. And if we don't have a definition for marriage, then I guess anything can be called marriage. And now we're changing family law. We're changing a, a, a host of all kinds of things. And you know, we argued that this was a terrible slippery slope. And of course, we were mocked by uh, secularists. Uh, but that's exactly what's happening now. We're actually having discussion. Why, why is it that nobody has been arrested in the Epstein uh, situation? Um, because the trafficking of children 
by the, by the elites is actually not viewed as evil or wicked. Um, and that's why we're not we're not prosecuting. Why is it that we're not shutting down all these porn sites and things like that that we know are terrible uh, for children and terrible for men in general and women? Um, because we're embracing that now. Like like that's not so bad anymore. Um, why are we? The, the latest thing is polyamorous relationships, where now you don't have one man and one woman. You might have one man with three women, or one woman with three men, and that's called marriage, and that's okay. Um, I mean, literally every single line of distinction has has been attempted to be uh, erased. And the the thing we need to be aware of is there's a spirit behind this. This is this is demonic. Yeah. Um, this is a ancient principality that has come back into America through the apostasy of our culture, and that's now wreaking havoc on our on our culture. And and it won't stop until there is a really national repentance. Uh, and a return to the Lord. Uh, so we'll get into how this spirit in, infiltrated Israel and then how this spirit is currently impacting America in the podcast ahead. So thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this today. We'll look forward to being with you next Thursday. Thursday.